want to give you a quick update before we stand and uh, read Scripture together and pray. Last week I shared um, in part of my comments about our trip to uh, Riverland that, uh, and we prayed for our workers over there, our American workers, uh, because their residency permit had been rejected. And uh, as of this last week, we got an update that they have filed a case with the authorities, and while they were supposed to be gone, within 10 days from this last Monday, now they get to stay for the duration of the court case, which could be from one to two years' time. And uh, so many times, we're talking about this in our ABF class today, the court system sometimes moves uh, very, very slowly. In this case, it worked well uh, for the advantage of these workers, so still need prayer, and uh, we would appreciate your prayer on that. So with that in mind, we give thanks to God. I heard that collective, uh, oh my, isn't God good? And uh, he certainly is. We're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, to set the tone. This is our second message in a series on the Apostles' Creed. Now, let me just remind you, I am not preaching on the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is merely an outline of some of the basic things that Christians believe, and I am doing my best to preach from these themes from Scripture to you. And uh, so I I just want to start by asking a question, And, and maybe you're not there right now. Maybe you are. Have you ever been in a situation, and I could rattle off any number of situations, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job, of financial insecurity, the things that are going on in the world, health, and I, I, again, I could just go on and on, but have you ever said to yourself something like this, I just can't understand how God could get glory from, and then fill in the blank, with your situation. And so with that in mind, we're going to read from 1 Peter, from a group of people that were under the gun, so to speak, and how their simple belief in the one true God made them explode with inexpressible praise. Him. So with that, would you stand as we read, you follow along uh, this passage of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation mark. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, You have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing 
the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. O God, help us to be encouraged by your word today. As we consider this incredibly powerful word again, I believe, but now we look at the object of that faith, we believe in you, the only true God. We thank you and praise you for what you will teach us today. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to go back and review just a a few things. I'm not going to mention everything that I that I started with, I I basically started talking to you about what is a creed. A creed is what you believe. I want you to remember something, and you might notice that we have not in two weeks recited the Apostles' Creed. We'll, We'll be doing that in the future. Maybe not every Sunday, and I want to get to some objections about that in just a few minutes, but I want to remind you about something about the creed, or anything else that we say or do over and over again in church. There is no magical power in reciting a creed or a statement. It is not an incantation so that you might receive more faith or so that you might receive the salvation of your soul, or so that it might help you get a job, or maybe keep a relationship. I remind you that there are people today, all over the world, who mouth statements by rote, and it does them absolutely no good at all. Now let me stop again, and give a caveat. Doing things by rote is not bad in itself. Are you following me? Rote just means a mechanical or a habitual thing that you do resulting in something. And trust me, that even though I hear it all the times, if we do something too much in church, then it will become rote and it will lose its meaning. Let me just give you a couple of examples. And, and parents, I know you, you work on this when your children are very young and you try to teach them by rote that certain things are good for them. For example, would you agree, parents, grandparents, that for your children and grandchildren to brush their teeth is a good thing or a bad thing? Uh-huh. That's something that they do by rote, and hopefully when they are older, they will not depart from that. Multiplication tables. Oh my, I know we live in the day of smartphones. Somebody has said you have more power at your fingertips, literally, than Neil Armstrong had 
when he went to the moon and came back. And the power of your computer, and so you can look up these tables, and you can look up things. But listen, learning multiplication tables by rote is a very good thing. This has been in the news just the last couple of days. How many of you would agree that saying, I I mentioned this last week, this is not a political statement necessarily, it's just a good thing for us to do. Saying from time to time in the appropriate place the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States of America. For those of you who've said saying things in church might become rote, would you also say that? about saying the Pledge of Allegiance appropriately in the right place at the right time. Let's move on to one more thing. I'm trying to get a little bit more down into where we live in in the life of the church. How many of you ladies would say that it is just rote, it is a bad thing for your husband to tell you regularly that he loves you? There are guys that have said, I told you once, remember when we got married? I should do it. I, I don't want to do it by rote. That become, could become unmeaningful to you. Now, now you're beginning to see it's a matter of the heart, and that's what we're getting to. How about in the church of Jesus Christ? When I first came here, we would do the Lord's Supper maybe once a quarter or something like that. And, and then it, it, it had the feeling, this is the way it is in many churches. I'm not faulting anything that went on. I'm just saying it can become something that feels like an add-on. And the elders, as we've been talking about that, said, no, this is something, this is a picture. We need to see the word, the gospel lived out uh, among us as we gather together for worship. And so we have initiated having the Lord's Supper gasp for a Baptist church We try to have at least once a month. Frankly, I I believe that we ought to even have it more than that. And you say, well, that could become rote. That could lose its meaning. There's only one reason why any of these things would lose their meaning. It's always a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of the repetition. It seems to me that God is excited about the angels, the seraphim, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He never gets tired of hearing that. Do you know why? They say it from the heart. And that's part of why he talked to Jews, those disbelieving Jews. There were along the way Jews that were a part of the covenant, the real covenant. But by and large, this was the problem with the Jews. This people honors me with their lips. You can give lip service to any of the things that I've talked to you about so far today. And your heart still be far away. God does not want that. And then look, look what he tags on the end. The Lord Jesus saying this to them. It's, it's empty, vain. That means emptiness. It's in vain that they worship me. He always wants our words, our actions, our attitudes to be tied in with our heart. That's why the psalmist says, chapter 19, verse 14, Let the words of my mouth 
and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So I, I just, all along the way, I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about reasons why I talked to you about several things this last week, but I just want to remind you why these things are important. Last week we looked at the little phrase, I believe. Now today we come to the object of our faith, I believe in God. Hopefully next week we're going to expand on that. Faith must have an object. A.W. Tozer, it's over there in your quotes, said this, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Now remember, again, from last week, this should be obvious, but sometimes it's not. Everyone has a creed. Everyone believes something. And let me just go a step further. Everyone believes something about God. And I mentioned last week some famous, or maybe I should say infamous, atheists. I kind of picked on Richard Dawkins a little bit. Who, by the way, who, I, 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 he, his intellect is just like this, and mine's like this. I know that. But why... Do people who don't believe in something spend so much time trying to convince others that that something they don't believe in is real? Maybe it's because deep, deep down in their heart of hearts, they know that it is. I was kind of rethinking this and studying this last week. I came across a book by an author that I don't really know anything about him, but I was intrigued by the title. The title was this, and it's reminiscent of, uh, you guys know Norm Geisler, who, was, uh, who died several years ago, who was an apologist and who wrote a little bit about this. But the title of this book was, God Doesn't Believe in Atheists. And there was a synopsis of the book. Did you get that? God doesn't believe in atheists. And so at first, I thought what all of you are thinking, it was just a little bit of a, a kind of a dig, which I jumped right on the bandwagon with that. But as I read it, I realized that the author was getting to something that is, it, it, listen, this is an apologetic for us. Though it's not going to find favor with your neighborhood atheist. Okay? This guy went to Scripture, and he showed why, biblically. Now, I know that atheists reject the authority of the Bible, but remember back when we studied the solas? This is our authority, is it not? Do we not believe the Bible? It is our authority for everything we believe. And so I go to the words of the Apostle Paul, who basically, this is where the guy gets his his title of his book, God Doesn't Believe in Atheists. Why? Because they don't exist by definition. And he also goes on to say in his synopsis why they're so militant 
in their disbelief of God. And it's found in the very first phrase. For the wrath of God is revealed. I I don't think Richard Dawkins would articulate this, but deep, deep down inside, what their lips deny, they believe in their heart of hearts. And could it be that people are running? They realize the reality of the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, being without God, and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, not living straight, suppress the truth. Now, listen to this, and I've italicized several things. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Now, that's from God. Because God has shown it to them. They don't have to own a Bible. Let's go on. For His invisible attributes. By the way, let me give this parenthesis. We don't have time to delve into this. This is called general revelation. This is not specific revelation. So that you can know the gospel. That's why we do missions so that we can get the specific revelation about the gospel to the people who all of them know universally about this God. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Now, that may not give you a complete apologetic for defeating, again, your friendly neighborhood atheist. But to me, that absolutely locks it up. Not only the truth of it, but why so many of them are so angry toward this God in whom they say they do not believe. So let's look at it. You can see the outline. I'm going to lump some things together. Don't be discouraged by that. We're still going to get out on time. But I want you to see several things. I believe in the only true God. Now, wow, how do I do this? I'm going to give you three things very quickly. And we're going to have to... We're going to have to, 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 to bring it in even to do these things. I, I was, was studying this last week, and again, I thought, how it's like taking a, a, a little coffee cup with some water and holding it out and saying, here, now you know what the oceans are like. Or it's like, like taking my iPhone and turning on the flashlight and say, now, now you can understand the the sun. And you're laughing. You, yes, you're laughing because that's, that's foolish. Or by going out here right along the, the road here and there's a little ditch. Ah, look at the ditch. Now you understand the Grand Canyon. How do I, in approximately 35 to 40 minutes, present to you what is in Scripture 
to help you have your mind and heart expanded to understand God. I really can't. All I can do is just give you some things and point you toward this great God. So, how is God revealed? First thing, he's revealed in his name. Now, I could put names. I brought my prayer list this morning. My, my, my prayer list, my personal prayer list was designed to, uh, to follow the Lord's prayer. His disciples said, teach us to pray. And he said, this is the way you do it. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So what's in a name? We could get technical here and, and all down this I've listed. And by the way, this is really not exhaustive, but, but here's what I have on this list. I try to go through and I try to think of the names of God. And before every name, now this is an archaic word, okay? I'm going to try to tell you the difference between the pronunciation of this. But I, I say, for example... Lord, I pray that your name would be glorified, Habakkuk 2.14, as the waters cover the seas, so the glory, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth. That's, that's a prophetic thing, but I pray, Lord, that that would come. And so your name is Jehovah Kana. You're jealous for your glory. Your name is Jehovah Hazi. Your name is our strength. Your name is Jehovah Jireh. What does that mean? Everybody knows what that means. You're our provider. Jehovah Rapha, you're our healer. And I just walked down that list of names, but now you'll notice something in front of every one of those describers of his attribute, there is a title. And that's what I want to point you to today in terms of he's revealed in his name. Now, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. I'm just, I'm going to read two broad passages today. You're going to read them with me. Uh, too much to put on the screen. Uh, so I just want you to turn there because we're going to see something. Very, very helpful. Now, you, you know the story unless you just wandered in here today or you came with a friend or a relative and you've never been in church and you've never read the Bible. And even then, in, in our country, you've probably heard of the story of Moses and the burning bush. And we're going to pick up with reading um, about verse 7, okay? Because this, this is the encounter that God had with, with Moses. And I want you to notice something right out of the chute. You've already seen evidence of it today as we have gone through the songs, we've gone through the quotes, and we went, we, we're going through the scriptures here. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Then, now my translation, the ESV, has it like this. Then the Lord said, okay, in your Bible, tell me about that word, Lord. Do you have it there? Okay. Do you notice anything about that that's a little bit different than you would normally take? It's all caps. Do you know why? It's because translating out of Hebrew into English is sometimes very, very, Greek too, very difficult. And the translators wanted to get across something that's different. If you ever see Lord with small letters, it's, it's a whole nother word. This word, Lord, 
capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is the word that was not even pronounced by the Jews. And when they wrote it, they would wash their hands, write it, and then go wash their hands. It was a sacred name. And the name is Yahweh. And in our crude translation, we say Jehovah. Do you know that that word is used over 6,800 times in the Bible? It means he's eternal. It means that he's always existed. It means that he always will be. He's unchangeable. And so with that in mind, I just want to read this for you because Moses had a dilemma. He's supposed to go deliver this entire nation of people called Israel. Well, anyway, let's just pick it up. I'll stop talking and read the word. Then the Lord Yahweh said, I have surely seen. This is so cool. And this is the second time. If you look back at chapter 2, the last two verses, he says the same thing. Yahweh sees. I asked the question a minute ago, how many of you are hurting? God's people were hurting. I just love this. I love this about God. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them. I've got all four of those phrases, those words circled because it is so stunning. Yahweh. He sees. He hears. He knows And he has come down in the person of Christ. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's read on. I'm going to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Mosquitoites. This is everybody in the land. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've... Did they deserve this? Good grief, they were such a rebellious people, and look look what he's doing for them. I've heard the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the uh, Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. No small deal. I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel out of Egypt. I almost laugh at this. And Moses said to God, "Um, excuse me, who shall I say, who am I, first of all, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? He said, but I, Yahweh, will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you, that's a different word, God. And Maybe we'll get to some of these other names, Elohim, for example, and they will ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? If you had been God, what would you have done with Moses about that time? Seriously. Would you kind of... Moses... Hello? But he didn't. He said, I I want you to go and tell them who I am. God says to Moses, 
Yahweh. I am. Not I was. Not I will be. I am. It's the, it's the eternal. We could just spend all day here and not exhaust it. I, I really believe, parenthetically, that in eternity we will keep learning. We will have perfect understanding and we will learn about God every day for all eternity and never exhaust the wonder and the riches of who he is. I am who I am. I'm Yahweh. Say this to the people of God. Yahweh has sent me. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the Lord, the God, Elohim of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I just read to you a minute ago, and we could add something else to it. His name is revealed in his covenant. He's revealed in his covenant name, Yahweh. I am that I am. But also his perfect moral character and his mighty acts. He did what he said he was going to do. And I love this. This is also in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, now, that's English. That's his covenant name, Yahweh. Jehovah, the Lord. He says it twice. A a merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the God he is, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means, this is also the God who he is, will no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And in the commandment in Exodus 20, he says, of those who hate me. One more thing. and I, I, Again, I had to be very very selective in this God is revealed not only in his name his covenant name Yahweh he's revealed in his compassion in his moral character and in his mighty acts he's also revealed so perfectly in the Trinity the word Trinity doesn't exist in the Bible and that's why non-Trinitarians will always attack Christians based on this. Well, you, you have multiple gods. No, we have one God. Three persons, one God. And there are distinctions of the Christian faith. The resurrection is one. Jesus dying on the cross is another. But perhaps no other distinction is as powerful as the Trinity. And this is just one representative scripture where we see the Trinity. God knows good English or Greek. And if he had meant for us to think of three different personalities or gods, he would have said, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the names. But he didn't say that. He said, in the name, the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three persons together constitute the one God. And this one God is the true God that we believe in. When we say, I believe in God. The one true God is uniquely Trinitarian. 
No substitutes. Are, are you hearing me? No substitutes. Let me say it plainly. Our God that we serve is not the God of Muslims. Allah is not Trinitarian. He is not the God that you say, I believe in God. Do you understand that? Now, let me say a second thing. I'm going to give you several groups. The God in whom we believe is not the God of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Because they are not Trinitarian. The God in whom we believe is not the God of the Mormons. Now, I know, we, we talked a little bit about this in our ABF class. I know that there are things that you hear and see, maybe on TV, that are trying to, to mainstream and just make these Christian, how can I say it, offshoots. They don't want to be called cults. They just want to be a sect. S-E-C-T, of Christianity. And say, we, we believe the same things that you do. Let me say one more thing, and this may shock you. The God of the Jews who crucified Jesus is not the God in whom we believe, the one true God. The God of the Old Testament is because he revealed himself in his son Jesus Christ. But when Jesus had a confrontation with certain Jews who rejected him, who did he say was their father? That's the, not the God in whom you believe. So we have to be very sure. Now, what difference should it make in our lives? I've got four things down there. I'm going to lump them all together, and we're going to read another story from Scripture, I love these narratives that are just so powerful. So I want you to turn to the book of Daniel, prophetic book, Daniel chapter 11, 32. And we're just going to lump these all together. Uh, I, I'll tell you what, I'm going to read ch uh, chapter, uh, Daniel eleven 32, I'll quote it, and then I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 3, Daniel 3. We're not going to read the whole thing. Daniel 11.32, you may want to jot that down. It's really a, a neat verse. It says, those who know their gods will stand firm and take action. Okay? Those who know their gods will stand firm and take action. And, and then... Earlier in Daniel, he tells this incredible story, and he tells several incredible stories, the, the three guys, the four guys together, and then about Daniel and, and, and all of that, and they make these incredible statements. For example, they have great energy for God. They have great thoughts of God. They have great boldness for God. They have great contentment in God. By the way, let me just say this to you before we get to the end. You will not have great energy for God or boldness for God or thoughts of God unless you are content in God. If your contentment is in anything else, we won't read it. I, I want you to stay right here in, in Daniel 3, but it, read later on the quote by Randy Smith. It's, it's just incredible because it says, if, if your trust is in anything else, that will not cut it. That will not do it. 
Do you know the story of the three friends of Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, not a billy goat. King Nebuchadnezzar built a, I don't know what it looked like. It was this incredible image. It was 90 feet tall, 6 feet wide. And he suspended prayer. Nobody can pray to anything but my image for a month. And so some people came and and gave some fake news. Well, it was kind of true, but it was not. There's some people over here, and they're, they're, not, they're not worshiping your image. And he was mad. In fact, uh, he gets madder and madder when, when the three guys are called in front of him, and they give him answer in the next phrase where it says that he became so angry, it meant he was red in the face. His veins were popping out. He was so incredibly angry. But I want you to pick it up about verse 16. Uh, and by the way, these people... Please don't get this impression. These people were not what you might call againers. You guys know what againers are? They're just against. They're just kind of contrary. Against everything, against authority and all the rest of that. These people were not that. They knew their God. They believed in the one true God. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Why we don't bow down to your image, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Now, we started out by saying, have you ever gone through any of your life, anything in your life where you just, you can't figure it out? How could God get glory out of this? I wonder if, I wonder if just that as a fleeting thought went through their minds. God, how could you get glory out of us being thrown into a fiery furnace? What happens to our kids and our wives? What happens to our our jobs where the people are depending on us? And you could just go on and on and on. He said, well, God is able to deliver us, and I think this is incredible, but if not, be it known to you, O king, this this is contentment in God. We will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Threw them in the fire. The fire was so hot it killed the men who threw them in the fire. And yet Nebuchadnezzar looks down. How many does he see? Four. And what are they doing? They're walking around unbound. Heard a sermon one time. It was just incredible. The, the The only thing that you will lose by going through a fire many times is the things which bind you. There's one like the Son of Man, a pre-incarnate image of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were delivered, but there were others who weren't. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Many who didn't make it, but they were known for their So I thought, we've got to end. What do we we talk about? How could we apply that today? Well, you could apply it in so many different ways. You're on the job. You're being asked to do something that is not right. 
And you say, no, here, here I stand. And you be respectful, but you, you say, I, I cannot do that. Maybe at school, you're, you're asked to compromise your convictions. No, here I stand. I believe in God, Yahweh, the only true God. And if he wants to deliver me, that's, that's good. He will. But even if he doesn't, we won't bow down. And we could go on and on. And I, I thought about this, and, and I'm, I'm just going to share it because it, it is now in the life of our church. Our, our current political climate, I don't know what stripe you are. I, I'm not talking about parties right here. Please hear me. Are you hearing me on that? But in 2015, there was a Supreme Court case which legalized same-sex marriage. Okay. We don't want to be againers. Thump our chest. We're against the political system. But that's when the elders got together and we said, we must stand for something. We went to the scriptures and our old bylaws from 2005 that were written about the year that I came were updated to include an amendment about marriage and family. Talking about the sanctity of marriage, what we are for and therefore what we cannot do. Fast forward, this is 2019 back in October at a forum for some of the political candidates it was specifically asked do you think religious institutions like colleges, churches, charities should lose their tax exempt status if they oppose same sex marriage most of the candidates did the, the typical shuffle by non-answering but giving an answer except for one candidate who's no longer a candidate he said yes now I, I know I know listen folks and we've said it before who cares we keep doing what we do with or without tax exempt status and we understand that but do you understand that's that's for us do you understand that the majority listen to me of churches in our country are classified as small churches, fewer than 200 members, it will cripple if not destroy. God's sovereign, if he chooses to deliver, he will. He will be glorified. He will win the victory, ultimately. But I thought to myself, heritage, it is so important that we do this is for the church, but you can apply it in any situation that you're in. You take the book and you say, here I stand. You will be strong. You will stand firm and take the necessary action. Where does that come from? It only comes from people who are gospeled. People who have realized, I, I can't live this life on my own. I have rebelled against God. I turn away from that rebellion and I turn by faith to Jesus Christ and they are born again. When you walk out those doors in a minute, 
you will stand for something. Will it be those things that will enable you to say, I believe in the one true God? Father, you've heard our hearts. I do not wish, Father, to be in any way sensational. We are just normal people who have discovered that we love and we believe in the one true God. Would you grant that today, for anyone who is here and is not trusted in Jesus Christ, that today would be the day? Turn away from playing like their God, fighting against you and your holy commandments. And humbly accept the forgiveness that's in Jesus Christ. The new life that he gives and are born again. Oh God, how I pray that that would happen. So Lord, as we sing this song now and before we have our closing, I pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Convict us from your word and help us to walk out of this place believing in the one true God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.